Welcome into episode 71 of the Sources Say podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the Growing KSR Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio, and today I wish I could say I were happy and, and had some positive thoughts and everything was just happy dandy, but I don't. Uh, but I'm very glad that I have uh, my partner in crime, David Sisk of Cats Illustrated, to talk me through uh, this horrible, horrible loss to Louisville to make the Kentucky Wildcats start the season one and six. David, how the heck are you? Well, when when having um, when having me here is the highlight of your day, uh, <laughs> man, you're that, that's all you need to know. Yeah. Uh, oh man, it was rough. So so we're trying to fit in schedules and, and fit the timing right. I mean, we're, we're recording this right after the UK game or a couple hours afterwards. So we're trying to fit in schedules and, and get as much in-depth analysis as we can from our co-hosts. So David's going to jump on for this first segment. And then whenever we have Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country, he's going to hop on at some point. He's going to be joining mid, mid-show. So we'll, uh, if you randomly hear him pop in here in the next couple minutes, that's exactly why. So we'll just get started Right off the jump, Kentucky loses 62-59 to at the KFC Yum Center. Uh, start the season one and six. And the wheels have fallen off, David. The things are as bad as they could possibly get. Um, and I don't, I don't know how you look at this situation and see anything positive. I think it's a very, uh, very doom and gloom time for the Big Blue Nation. Well, there's no doubt that it is. And, and my take is – I mean, there's no way to spin one and six, um, you know, as positive. And that's a problem because, you know, I, I just feel like you're already – you're not even to New Year's and you're already running out of time. Uh, I mean, they are basically – you throw Texas into that mix, you're going into a Southeastern Conference schedule. You throw them in. So, uh, let's say they go 12 and six in the SEC. I mean, I don't think they're going to beat Texas, who's number 10 ranked team in the country. Let's say they don't. I mean, you've got to go 12 and 6 in the SEC just to go 500 at 13 oh. and 13. So, obviously, you know, they're, you, they're really going to have to make an incredible run in the SEC to, you know, we're talking about not being eligible for the NCAA tournament. And I think even more than that, can the team get to 500? Um, I think that's one thing. The other thing, too, today is, um, just kind of looking at this group, um, I, I really don't know how you resurrect it because, and we'll get into this a little bit, but, you know, you've got players who are playing the best right now of anybody on the team who are kind of role guys. And, you know, it's really good, but they're not the guys that's going to you that are going to carry you in March. You know, the guys that you're dependent on and, and – uh, I don't know if you've heard any of the ESPN broadcast today, but they were really on – Vital was on SAR hard and mm-hmm. should have been. Uh, he's had what? Uh, he had one point. I mean, he was he was non-existent. But, you know, Boston – I know Clark had a gimpy ankle. But, you know, those guys have not been what you thought they were going to be, and that was supposed to be the big three. And now you're depending a lot on Toppin and – uh, uh, Ware and Mintz. And Mintz, probably my favorite player on the team. And I love how these other guys play hard and they've played well, but they're not the guys to 
can carry you. So that's a problem. And, you know, for each guy who's playing well, all that group, you know, they got weaknesses. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot there to, a lot there to take in. Yeah. So those three best players, the players that UK kind of circled as, okay, these are going to be our stars. They're going to be the the guys that we lean on the most to kind of, you know, shoulder the, the, the scoring load and, and just kind of be those leaders of the, of the team. Those three players, BJ Boston, Terrence Clark, and Olivier Saar combined for 12 points on three of 19 shooting and zero for six from three. Boston, and, and, fairness to BJ, he had he had eleven of those twelve. You know, but if you go back and look at his numbers, I, I and I know BJ, he still was averaging I think fourteen and a half points a game coming into this game, but he's not been what anybody really thought he could be because he shoots in bulk. So I don't think you can look at BJ if he scores fifteen points and say, man, you know, he's he's pretty good he's been playing well because he shoots 15 times a game I mean he shot double figures you know shot attempts every game so uh didn't mean to cut you off there but you know it that's uh that's an issue go ahead didn't mean to cut well, you off well people look at this box score and they go oh Davion Mintz 19 points 6 of 12 shooting 4 of 6 from 3 uh, had 7 rebounds 2 assists I mean yeah dude that's you know two two steals that's a fantastic performance from Davion Mintz and it is Davion played his butt off he was arguably the, he has been this whole season the one guy that you can kind of look at as the you know the 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 consistent stable force among everybody uh, you go down that list, Jacob Toppin, 10 points, five of seven shooting, uh, six rebounds, a couple really, really strong, impressive rebounds, kind of just soared through the air and grabbed them. I mean, just, I mean, very solid development. But if those two are your leading scorers and BJ Boston with 11 points, but I, I don't even know if I can count him as a leading scorer when you're that inefficient and have so many holes in, holes in your game and just so many different flaws and things that you can point at those both Davion Mintz and Jacob Toppin were Kentucky's two top guys today and if that's the case for the rest of the year that's a serious 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 issue that um that that UK has right now remember just remember Jacob Toppin was a guy that UK brought into redshirt he was not even supposed to play this year because playing at Rhode Island last year, he looked at himself in the mirror and said, I am personally not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not as, you know, I'm not built for the college game in the same way as some of some of my peers. He personally went out of his way to redshirt. He was going to redshirt himself until the incident. He realized that NCAA was going to be lenient and it was going to be a free year of college basketball. So it didn't hurt him. It didn't harm him either way for him to, to move forward with, with pursuing a waiver, but this is a guy that wasn't even supposed to play this year by his own accord. He told himself that he wasn't good enough and, and not ready to play at a Kentucky. And he is the guy that Kentucky needed to, to put up shots and, and, and uh, you know, score in very crucial times of the game. And if that's the case, Kentucky's screwed. I mean, we, we can already say they're screwed at this point. I mean, my biggest argument two games ago, I, I guess uh, was the, or it was the Notre Dame game. And I kind of looked at that as a, a must win in terms of if they want to still be seen as a legitimate title contender, a, a, you know, a team that can, that can still turn this thing around and be, and make a run. They had to win Notre Dame. 
the next game, North Carolina, that was a must win in terms of if they want to, you know, still be in, in the running to kind of turn things around and maybe make the tournament and make even a slight, you know, maybe sweet 16 run, something that North Carolina was a must win in that, that category. We are now at the point Louisville was the must win of if they want to salvage this season and have things not just completely just have that damn break and, and everything just, just go to hell the rest of the season. They had to win today. They didn't. Everything is all to hell right now. The, the, the train is off the track. I mean, it, this, this season has been a train wreck from start to finish. And yeah, David, we've talked about this, this, I, I just genuinely don't see where they turn things around. I don't know. Uh, is is BJ Boston going to magically start making wide open shots? Cause he's getting, he's getting good looks. He's just mi- missing every single time he shoots. Terrence Clark is not healthy. Olivier Saar is playing soft, not getting enough touches. And of the touches that he's getting, he's not converting. Devin Askew is making some shots, but one for five from three out of him. A lot of wide open looks. That's not going to work. Um, I mean, you just go down that list. Lance Ware, he's been fantastic, but one for five for him and then two for five from the free throw line. That's just not good enough either. There's nobody on this. Isaiah Jackson's been good, but every time he's in, he fouls out and, you know, he's he, – fouls out in, in no time so you I mean the whole roster you you look at and, and I don't know where uh, you you find some level of confidence from David yeah and you know the, the lineup uh, that really got him going I thought in the first half uh, was Mintz, Askew, Toppin, Ware, Terrence Clark uh, but obviously um, with that it wasn't something that Calipari, I really think, had confidence in because he didn't stick with it too long. But that was the first group they really made a run with. And when he took them out and put the others back in, Louisville went back ahead. And then he went back to them pretty quickly, I think, in about two or three minutes. But, you know, I was looking at it in the second half. You know, you look at some of that group. My favorite player right now for Kentucky is Davion Mintz. Uh, I thought against North Carolina, even going back to that game, I was impressed with the effort that he gave. And it was obvious to me in the North Carolina game that especially in the second half late that it was a team but there were some problems you know there were locker room problems you you can tell by watching the team they were kind of going through the motions and you could tell he was the one guy out there really just trying to bust his butt and I thought he was really about the only guy trying to Mm -hmm. play that game and then today um I thought the effort it looked to me I tell you what it looked to me like it looked to me kind of like a team that's one of these teams that's low on talent, that circles the wagons, and you're like, boy, they're not very skilled and they're not very good, but, man, they play hard. You know, that they're one of those – hey, Sean – that they're one of these guys that uh, try to do that or one of these teams. But I look at him, but, you know, he shoots the ball really well. Um, he made some threes today. I think – like I said, I think he plays hard. I think he's a decent defender. Uh, but, you know, now you're asking him to do things. If I read my right, I think Kentucky today assist-wise had six assists on 20 makes. That's as low as it gets. Oh, and gosh. the thing is, people are going to look at the point guard and say, well, they don't have a point guard play. Sometimes I think that's overrated with this group because I don't think John Stockton could ever three assist a game for this team because nobody can <laughs> score. And 
So, I, I mean, I don't. I think if you put John Stockton, Jason Kidd, Magic Johnson in this group, I, I don't know how many assists they would get a game. So, you, you're asking now Mintz to do things that he's not comfortable doing. I think it's out of his game. That's out of his range. Uh, ask you one of the better uh, – has really grown on me. I like him a lot better yeah. than I did a few weeks ago, but – I think we saw some in the second half of something that worried us, and that is he cannot keep a high-level guard in front of him. And I think they kept yep. – they repeatedly put him and Lance Ware, and Ware's another one that I love how hard he plays, and I love the effort. Cannot keep they, – they put those guys in ball screen situations up top, and they couldn't keep the Louisville guard in front of them. And Louisville kept going back to it. Calipari knew that. And as hard as Ware was playing, he really could not play him late in the game because of that because Louisville just pulled him out on the floor. So you've got guys like that who are doing things well, but they've got holes in their game too that can't be helped. That it is what it is, and that's why you just even the guys that are playing well, you put them in. There's give and take. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Sean Smith of Go Big Blue Country has joined the party, our little uh, vent session uh, before uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty of, of how things are going with the Kentucky basketball team. Sean, uh, how are things going with you? They're going okay, Jack. Uh, certainly a lot better than things are going in Lexington right now. I think I'm tired of telling people that it's going to be okay this year because I just don't think it's going to be. Not this year. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Yeah, so we've we've kind of gotten a little bit of our vent session going, kind of acknowledging some of the uh, overall issue, issues, kind of said if Davion Mintz and, and Jacob Toppin are combining for 29 points, uh, two of the leading scorers, B.J. Boston being as inefficient as he is, being your second leading scorer with 11 points on three of 11 shooting, your team is not going to do much of anything uh, in the long term. They're not going to win many games. So, Sean, what is uh, – um, you know, what? Get, get some stuff off your chest. What was your biggest takeaway and, and biggest issue in this game? K- Kentucky's role players have done the job. I think that's the biggest thing that we can take away, not just today. I think that was one of the biggest takeaways from the last few weeks is that the role players seem to be the guys that are improving and kind of finding their way on this team. Uh, Terrence Clark, B.J. Boston, and Olivier Saar. I mean, when, when, you've not hit, when you've not hit a shot, since late in the game against Notre Dame, that's not a very good sign. I just I think you got a lot of guys right now who aren't being the best versions of themselves. They're actually being the worst version of themselves, and that's a problem when it's supposed to be the guys that we were saying going into the season that if they be if they were elite, then this team could have been really good. Right now, those guys are missing in action. Yeah. So I, I want to ask both of you guys this because th- this is something that I noticed this game for the first time. And we, we've kind of seen it in the past uh, a little bit, but this was the first time that it kind of hit me where I was like, man, B.J. Boston is unplayable at times. I mean, when he's out of the game, Kentucky goes on its biggest runs. Uh, he, he, you know, some of his shot selection, he shoots Kentucky out of game. Some of his turnovers are so costly. Uh, it, it just seems like every time he's in, a, in the game, they're always playing from behind. They're, I mean, they're always playing from behind because they're, they're, they're physically behind in the game. But it just feels like they are always at an, a disadvantage whenever B.J. Boston is in the game right now. And I'm just curious because both of you guys saw B.J. in person. 
the same way I did. We were at those same AAU events. We were down at Peach Jam. We saw these guys, or, you know, various EYBL events. We saw these guys in action, specifically BJ. And all of us looked at each other and said, BJ is UK's guy. He's going to be a guy that's going to be able to lead this team. He, the way he creates shots, he can score at all three levels. At, at six foot seven, he does things at his size and, and his his age that you shouldn't be able to do. We all kind of thought he was going to be a guaranteed product. What do you think is the disconnect between what we're getting right now and what we saw in the past that made us so freaking sure? that he was going to be that guy. Because I think there's a lot of those questions that, that fans are asking us. All of us at some point in time said BJ Boston was going to be the guy. Me, I mean, I was I was one going on here saying I, he's going to be a guaranteed 17, 18 point per game scorer. You know, the, the, the uh, BJ Boston, Terrence Clark dynamic duo. It's going to be one of the best one-two punches UK has had since De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk, blah, 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 blah. You know, the, I've been the living, walking, breathing gas bag uh, among UK media hyping up BJ Boston every chance I get, but I know both of you guys were high on him as well. And I'm just, I'm just curious, where did we go wrong with that? What is the, the, you know, what, what is the just overall issue right now with BJ Boston? And more importantly, do you think that we can turn this around? David, I'll start with you. I, mean, I don't know because I, you know, I agree with you and I'd said the same thing. The only thing that might make me go back and say, okay, this is where, I was wrong and we were wrong um, is what would probably be, you know, he's got a frail build and you wonder a lot of times how that might affect things. Because I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, I saw Jalen Suggs too, who's really sitting it on fire at Gonzaga this year. And there was no doubt Jalen was a lot tougher physically at that time. I mean, Jason, I mean, uh, Jalen would go in a lane just looking for contact. Man, he was like a runaway truck going down a lane. And that's not up BJ's alley. And I kind of had started having some doubts a couple of games ago, and I really started thinking back, okay, how many players with that kind of frame have been outstanding in college basketball as freshmen? So, you know, but that's second guessing. But – Here's the thing, that doesn't – I think if he just made open shots, we would feel a lot better about him. Yeah. And I watch him on the foul line, and I know this. I know NBA scouts, from ones I've, I've spoken with, when they look at college players, and let's talk – let's say quickly or maxi, and they're looking at – when when I would talk to them in the spring about that, about those guys, they'd say they – like quickly needs to be a 38 to 40 percent three-point shooter in the NBA, but they're like, you know, he's shooting a really high level from the foul line, so we think he can get there. And that's one thing they adjusted. They felt like if a if a player could shoot 85 to 90 percent from a foul line, he could be a really good three-point shooter eventually. And I mean, these are shots he had in high school, and you watch him on the foul line, he never hits the rim, man. He's just – it's one swish after another. And then you put him out there with a long jumper or a three, uh, long two or a three-pointer, man, and it's like you just don't feel like it's ever going to go in. And it's just hard to say. So I don't know why a guy who, you know, to me is a good shooter. We've seen him – he was a great shooter in high school. We see him really looking comfortable on the foul line, and then when you – put the ball in his hands in live action he just can't make anything and it's I don't know man it's uh it's uh it's something you know I mean you look at that last uh 
you know, the last possession there when they, you know, they could have tied the game up. And, man, it was just – I mean, they've got a wide-open three on the wing. And it's one of those deals where you're like, well, why did they shoot that? Well, the guy was so wide open, but it never looked like it ever had a champ. I mean, it looked like a middle school shot. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. I, it's really weird. I, that's, it, it, it's one I do not have an answer for. Yeah. Well, let me – Sean, let me say this. On that note – the guy that people kind of compare him to and whether that's just absolute nonsense looking back, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but looking back at it now, it's just like, wow, I can't even believe that happened. But the guy that people kind of compared him to out of high school was like Kevin Durant and like a Brandon Ingram type guy where, yeah, they're thin as a rail, but when you have that just pure knack for scoring that just just pure scoring ability where you can score at all three levels. Yeah, we saw him in action in person where he would drive into the lane and go up against some some big sturdy, you know, front court players and and he would get knocked around and he would, you know, kind of t- take some bad shots in in the lane and you go, "All right, yeah, well that's where he needs to work." But he did so many other things at, you know, those free throw line elbow jumpers, those those in that, you know, intermediate level. And then from three, he was just doing some things. I, I remember I saw him out in Vegas at the, uh, uh, the Tarkanian classic. It was last year um, when UK was out for that, that two game trip in Vegas. And I saw him and, and he was making some shots I mean, between the legs, you know, kind of step back three, like James Harden level stuff. And he was drilling three after three after three. And you were like, dude, there is nobody that can guard this guy, this kid. It's just he's he's just a pure scorer. He's a professional bucket getter. That's who you thought he was, Sean. And I know we've had we had conversations, you know, during that time, this summer leading up to it, seeing him at some of these events, and then obviously in the preseason talking to you know parents and and various coaches. And I mean, we we were all talking to the same people, and and everybody said the same thing. BJ Boston is your one guarantee on the team. If anything, he is the one not guaranteed. He is he is the one of the biggest one of the biggest players on the team that is, that is hurting the team the most out of anybody right now. Sean, I don't get it. It goes back to what David said too that if if he's just hitting shots, we all feel a little better about it right now. But when you're five of thirty two from three point range on the season, and then you're shooting thirty six point seven percent from the field overall, that's not getting it done. Uh, David mentioned, you know, how thin his frame is too. There, there's another thing: if, if your shot's not falling, if you're if you're a, if you're a scorer, you can go get a tough bucket. And I, he just doesn't have that makeup right now. Like he can just go to the rim and just, you know, just go get a bucket and get himself going. Um, certainly, I think that his play, along with Terrence Clark and Olivier Saar, I mean, when you put it all together, if if one of those guys is off, Kentucky could find a way to survive if the other two were playing at a high level. But right now with all three of them playing at such a low level, Jack, it's hard for this team to get anything going. I mean, I tweeted out a few weeks ago that BJ was like five of something from three, and I don't think he's hit one since. I mean, it's and it's not like it's bad looks. I mean, sure, sure he takes bad shots at times, but he's also missed a lot of good looks. Uh, David mentioned the one there at the end of the game. He missed another one there in the final ten minutes from the, from the right, maybe on the far corner. He missed one last week against North Carolina. It's it's been big shots that would maybe swing the game and swing some momentum, and he just a lot of them are short. Mm-hmm. Yeah, David. I don't know if y'all watched um, after the game. I don't. You were you guys at the game or were you watching on TV? I don't even. Know. I, I was. I was. I was okay. at the Um Center. Well, 
Sean, you you probably saw Seth Greenberg after a game then. He blasted them, man. Just saying mm-hmm. they have no toughness. Yeah. And he said that's the problem with his team, and that's what it came down to. And he called out Sar and Boston specifically and just said they have no toughness, and they're not kids that would say, okay, I'm going to get that ball in a lane, and I don't care. I'm going to score on you. And there's none of that. And that's the thing, too, that stands out to me is you've got a group of kids right now that are playing hard, but it's Kentucky's yeah. role guys that are playing hard. Yeah. And that's not that's not been contagious so far. It's not carried over to the guys that kind of – I mean, if, if just think if, if Olivier Saar and B.J. Boston and Terrence Clark and these guys were playing as hard as Lance Ware and these others would, I mean – you would have to be doing better than what they're doing right now. That's what that's what Jacob Toppin's doing right today. He played yeah. hard. And it's, you it's know, that's my biggest fear. If you say, okay, what let's put records and all that aside. If you say, okay, what bothers you the most about this or what's your biggest fear for the team? It's that I've I've said it was obvious for the first three or four games in, even after the Kansas game. I, we, we'll put it at that once. So you can think how far back that's been. That this team, okay, they're going to struggle. I can't shoot the ball. And, you know, they, there's not a whole lot. There's not a ton of basketball IQ out there for the college game because they were so young early. Well, let's fast forward four weeks later. And at that time, I said, okay, I like this defense. And that's when Saar and Jackson were getting a lot of minutes. And Saar was playing a lot better than he's playing now. And you looked at them, and they were so lengthy. And you said, you know, even though this offense is bad, this is a chance, and I've said it, I had said it over and over, they have an opportunity to be an elite defense. And that's what I'd say, elite. So they can be one of those teams like Virginia or somebody else yeah. where they can't score a whole lot, but their defense can be really good and they can win games with that. Fast forward it now, I don't know if their defense can be good enough to overcome <laughs> offense, number one. But it's like I said, too. When you're stuck, when some of these guys not playing well, and and Askew uh, gets extended minutes, and Ware's getting extended minutes, as good as Ware plays inside, like I said, you've got guys out there on the floor who who are liabilities in some spots defensively. So they can't be a great defense. I think this can be a good defense or a really good, really good defense. But if you've got a good defense and a horrendous offense, how many games do you win? Before we jump into this next segment, let me first talk about our friends at MyBookie. Every sports fan knows that it's not about how you start the season. It's about how you finish. At MyBookie, 2020 finishes strong with NFL, college football, and the return of NBA action. Sign up today to receive a halfway deposit match up to $1,000. To get in on the action, it's simple. Sign up. Make your first deposit and enter promo code sources say to claim your bonus and start taking advantage of the holiday freebies. Head over to my bookie to discover this year's batch of fun on-site promotions this holiday season. Bet with the best bet with my bookie. David, I want to touch on something because Sean and I spent last vent session uh, just, just one week ago talking about what I thought was the, one of the worst quotes that Cal has ever had, and it, that kind of seems like a, a very common theme at this point. It seems like every game he he's trying to one-up himself, uh, and we'll get to the dumb comment that he made uh, Worst thing, the Louisville game is not a must-win. Was it worse than that one? 
Oh, it, it was worse. Um, it was, it, we're, we're kind of talking about BJ Boston and, 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 you know, kind of his scoring impact and kind of shooting himself out of this, what has, has been an every game slump at this point. He said, uh, somebody asked him about Dante Allen and said, um, I could have played him today. I could have done it today, but he's saying I, I could have played him today, but I'm giving these guys that are in front of him, the room that they need to be able to miss shots we go and practice, and they make shots, but they obviously aren't making them in the game. I come out – it's not I come out every time I miss a shot. Obviously, you go, you guys know that's not true, which, hmm, every – you know, we've seen guys like Dante, uh, Jamal Baker, Johnny Juzang, Michael Mulder. You go down the list, and those guys are the ones that Cal pulls after every single missed shot. So, that, we know that's not true. Um, and then he said, you, you try to give them room and c- encourage them to shoot. David – I'm asking you as a as a coach and somebody that has been doing this for so long, I get what he's trying to say. I understand that when you have a player of B.J. Boston's caliber, you have to get him to, to live up to that hype and be the player that you recruited him in to be. You have to get him to, to get out of that cold slump at some point. But at, at what point do you look at that situation? And not, I'm not even necessarily saying Dante Allen is some level of, of savior. And, and I don't think he is the answer long-term for this team. But my question is, do you agree with Cal's mindset of we just got to get BJ going? And if that means losing in, a lo- in the short term, letting him shoot him shoot UK out of games, go three for 11 and, and games like this, do you agree with that coaching mindset when you have a guy like Dante Allen who averaged 43 points per game in high school, shoots as well as he had? I mean, there are co- you talk to people on the coaching staff and people inside the program, they tell you that he is the best shooter on the team and has been since he first got on campus by far. Do you agree with Cal's mindset uh, whenever it comes to Dante Allen um, just, just refusing to play him in games? I'm not there in practice, and this is not a cop-out, but you'll hear. I'm going to give a cop-out answer here, what some would say, politically correct answer. But I, And you'll hear an announcer say this all the time. I'm not there in practice every day, so I don't know what's there. You know, I, I don't know what he's given day in and day out in practice. And uh, from what I've heard, from Calipari, I think when he's been asked this, you know, he's not said anything about um, bad practice habits from Dante Allen. I've never heard him say that he's a poor practice player. Maybe you guys have, I don't know. But um, obviously there's a need there, and it looks like he's a fit for that need. Now, I know this. Calipari really is going to – it's weird because Calipari is going to protect his players. And I understand that he has to do that at Kentucky because there's enough criticism. They live in the fishbowl. So he's going to take the hit a lot of times. He's doing everything he can can right now to protect Terrence Clark and B.J. Boston and Saar. And, and, and he's going to go out of his way to do that, maybe at the expense of Dante Allen. I, I don't know. Um, it's just, you know, I've tried to go back and think about this. And I don't know. I mean, certainly I would give him a chance. I don't understand why he's not getting minutes, not extended minutes, but I don't understand, you know, why he's not getting off a bench at all. And the other thing would be, um, I might ask the question, just kind of go back and think how bad, how badly did 
Calipari want him during the recruiting because you know situation because he was like he went late he was just really tearing it up and you know he went to the very last tournament they could go to and it was like they kind of watched him over and over and over and over and it was like they never could make his mind their, their minds up uh it was a last minute situation it seemed like in the AAU season and I would just go back and and ask you know was Dante Allen a guy Calipari was sold on all the way? I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just like a guy told me one time, you throw it in a bucket, throw it up against the wall, see what sticks. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's, it's a weird situation. You know, there's a lot of weird situations. B.J. Boston, why is he playing like he is? Weird situation. Tim uh, Fletcher, weird situation. Dante Allen, weird situation. Olivier Saar, weird si- I mean, everything's just – you know, there's nothing like you thought it was going to be. Yeah. Sean, we went very, very in-depth on the Dante situation, said if we don't – if he doesn't start getting playing time, he's going to end up leaving, uh, and somebody else is going to appreciate him if if Coach Cal isn't. Uh, we, I mean, we got very, very in-depth last episode. If you guys missed that, you definitely need to because that was uh, – Sean and I were definitely on one in that one. Uh, but – Cal said today, I believe it was somebody with the Falmouth, Falmouth Outlook. It was the, you know, Dante's main newspaper back back home. So, obviously, they're very passionate about seeing Dante Allen play. And, and they kind of got kind of snippy with Coach Cal. Like, yeah, Louisville started a Mr. Basketball runner-up. Uh, you know, th- things are going good with Louisville and their in-state kids. J.J. Trainers doing really darn well. And, you know, things are going really well with them. What the hell's happening with Dante Allen? And Coach Cal said, here's what I'll tell you. I told Dante today, be ready for your chance. Terrence, uh, Terrence Clark, if, if I don't think he can go, then I'm going with you, and it's going to be your opportunity. Mind you, every time D- Terrence Clark stepped on the court and, and it was, he was checking into the game, he was walking like he had just broken his ankle. I mean, he looked horrible walking on the floor. I mean, he – if he wasn't going to play, he needed to not play. I mean, there's just no reason for him to even try to give that a shot. I appreciate him fighting and, and, you know, showing some toughness there, but it was very clear that Clark was not ready to play today. Um, And then he kept saying there were two, Cal said, there were two times I thought about putting him in once in the first half, which I wish I would have because I would have been able to play him in the second half. If I don't play a guy in the first half and it goes on, you know, uh, but he's going to have a chance. It wasn't. It just wasn't tonight. And I coached the game to win. That's all I did. Okay, so in that breath, Coach Calshon says he was going to play him twice. He, he said, I don't play guys in the second half because it's not fair to them. So he said, I needed to play him in the first half because then I would have been able to play in the second half. He, for whatever reason, he's weird about – uh, you know, putting guys in games just in the second half. And then the worst quote of them all is, I coached the game to win. That's all I did. So yeah. he does not think Dante Allen is a winning basketball player. Yeah, that was the part of the comment that I found, you know, the most eye-opening was that he followed it with that and then went into, you know, a lot more about Terrence Clark and, you know, other things. Jack, I'll just – I'll say this. Uh the leash that Cal gives to, you know, B.J. Boston, Terrence Clark, I mean, he gives to his five-star guys, it, that fits the culture. Playing Dante Allen doesn't fit the culture. Like, what? what is the culture at Kentucky? The culture at Kentucky is changing lives 
and you know overcoming generational pro generational poverty and everything like that that doesn't fit the mold with Dante Allen I hate to say that but I think that's why you're seeing BJ Boston Terrence Clark continue to play a ton of minutes even though that they're not hitting shots is because I think Cal knows that it's it's more important to get those guys where they need to be and get their basketball career where they need to be. I, I just I hate to say that, but that's just the way that I see it. Because obviously this team's one and six and their one scholarship player that's not getting minutes can't get on the floor. Yeah. Be, if they were six and one, I wouldn't even be saying anything about it. At yeah. this yeah. point, I think Kentucky fans they just want to see if it's any different. If Dante goes out and he doesn't perform, I guarantee you people would stop calling for him to play. Uh, but that's the thing. Like, you can't keep saying you wish you'd put somebody in, and you can't keep saying, like, after North Carolina, I, I probably could have done it today. What are you waiting on? Yeah. You know, and it's it's kind of to the point uh, where if you say a kid from Kentucky play well, that's the first thing that crosses your mind. It plays for another team because, you know, I watched uh, North Carolina State, North Carolina last this past week and Braxton Beverly had a good game, you know, really good game. Uh, and North Carolina State won. He's their starting point guard. And uh, that's the first thing, you know, and I don't think anybody really ever looked at Braxton Beverly and said, well, why didn't Kentucky recruit him? But, you know, when you kind of watch him play now compared to what you're seeing up there, you'd probably cross his people's minds now that it never did before. And that's really to the point of where things have gotten. Yeah. They're, they're at a point right now that you're, they're struggling. I mean, this is something that we haven't seen before at Kentucky. I mean, he can, he can say the schedule and all this stuff that, that the schedule's tough. No, uh, these are games that Kentucky, with, with the talent that they have, David, I think you'd agree, these are games, a lot of these, Kentucky shouldn't have lost all of them. Yeah. But they're at a point now that what makes this okay Let's say that this season doesn't get turned around. Because right now, let's say that they just go 500 in SEC play. That's only winning 10 regular season games. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the point that we're at right now. Yeah, I mean, you're you're staring single-digit wins right in the face. You are. With a limited schedule that they've had with some cutback on games, and you're looking at what now? I think it's 26, 25, 26 yeah. regular season games you're allowed. I mean, you are. You're looking at single-digit wins. You are. And, and I don't think that's a push in the panic button to say that. I think it's very realistic. It is. It is very realistic. And that's where I'm getting at is it, at what point does this year, if they just continue to struggle through it, at what point do do Kentucky fans feel optimistic about next year, Jack? Is it is it now? Because to me it would be right now looking at this roster, nobody is ready for the league. You're going to lose guys, though. You're going to lose B.J. Boston. You're going to lose Terrence Clark. That's just how this thing works. But if you can get the bulk of this thing back, if you can get Lance Ware back, if you get all these kids to, let's say, not transfer, everybody comes back. Who knows what Isaiah Jackson's going to do? I think he's going to have a very difficult decision when this is over with because I think he's a guy that would look even better if the other pieces looked better around him. And that's what I'm getting at is if they struggle their way through it but Kentucky fans still see hope, then – Maybe the struggles, this is what you get when you're wanting a program that's trying to move away from just completely bringing in 10 new guys every single year. But, but that's, the, that's the problem with this, though, is how do you get to that point? I think if you look at – I think it was Bleacher Report yesterday that had a new mock draft out. And they've fallen. You know, you, you're looking at the draft stop. But when I was reading it, um, it was like, well – you know, B.J. Boston's not played the way 
we thought he was going to play. Uh, Terrence Clark's not played the way that they thought they were going to play. And, you know, um, uh, Isaiah Jackson is – and we saw it today. Isaiah Jackson made some game-changing play. He made three in a row there early when they got defense turned into offense. But he still can't score his back to the bucket. And, you know, and they spoke about that. So, I even see it, especially with BJ and Terrence, that it's kind of like they're holding their breath right now. And I'm talking about the NBA people. And, you know, there could be a free fall in their draft stock. And it's kind of like, well, we're not going to give up yet, but it's not what we expected. So if they don't turn this thing around and it stays like it is, man, the, the lottery talk and all that's out the window. It is. See, but the, the thing is, BJ, I just I genuinely don't see any scenario where BJ Boston or Terrence Clark are back next year. No matter this, they could they could shoot 0 for 20 every single game the rest of the year, both combined with 10 turnovers apiece every single game, and I I do not envision a scenario. I think the chances of them both opting out of this year and saying screw it, my draft stock can't take any more of a hit than it is right now. I think that's more on the table and more of a realistic idea than than the idea of them you know that's where i get soured on all this jack kind of like okay what you know and you have guys let's say they go into the league and they play up to what people thought what we thought they were going to play what good did that do kentucky yeah and then you go through the whole thing again and you know i'm happy for guys like you know bam out of bio was a good NBA player, or, or a good Kentucky player, but he's going to be a very good, great NBA player. Yeah. And you see some of these guys, it could be a Tyrese Maxey. It, it could be some of these others, uh, you know, a Devin Booker, uh, guys like that who, who are better as NBA players than they were as college players. And then the cycle keeps repeating, and they say, look at the contract, look at this. Uh, $183 million five-year contract that they just signed, and you keep getting those guys in, and very few of them play up to that. Maybe an Anthony Davis. You think yeah. as great as Anthony Davis was and he won a national championship, he's still better with the Lakers than he was with Kentucky. So you you get that. And, when, and I look at other places like Wisconsin, and I know Kentucky fans don't want it to be like Wisconsin, but yeah, they redshirt everybody they get, and they got four for fifty. I mean, they're playing twenty-two, twenty-three-year-old guys, you know, and and it's just and and these guys they just build and progress and progress. So there's got to be a happy medium in there somewhere where you're not playing eighteen-year-olds all the time, and you never see the 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 the, the end, you know, the end end all of. of, yeah. of what it is when they go to the NBA, I guess I'm saying. I think the one thing that this program needs, and it's okay. I mean, Davion Mintz is a very good player for this team right now. I mean, he's doing you know wonderful things. I, th- I think he's outperforming what I thought he was going to do going yeah, into the season for sure. I think this is a program though that needs to get to the to the point that they're developing and producing their own juniors and seniors. 
I think that is something that this program vitally needs right now to mix in with the elites and the talents. I mean, right now, let's say they're not getting the guys that they were getting the first five or six years of Cal's tenure. They're not, there's not an Anthony, which there's not an Anthony Davis, uh, very many years at all, but we're talking like the other guys. I mean, you can go down the list and name when Julius Randles, you know, they're not getting those guys right now. And that's very hard to do when you're having to start all over when you're not getting that level of talent. Uh, there's still a lot of talent on this roster, but I just think that they need to get to the point to where it's mixed in with three or four seniors of their own or yeah. juniors of their own. And then, you know, add a transfer here or there. Instead of it having to be an emergency fix, you know, go out and just, you know, get a transfer to fill out your roster. Well, and other people are adapting to one and done. The Duke adapted to one and done. I remember you'd hear Duke fans and, and they'd say something about Kentucky and call Kentucky one and done. And you remember Bo Ryan first called them out 2015. He said, Duke's a one and done program now. You remember that? Yeah. In the final four. So uh, Duke's adapted to that. So Duke's getting those players now that Cal was getting early on because he was the only one and done guy. And now Kansas wants to go. And then you'll have one of these guys go to Oklahoma State. You'll have one of these guys go to LSU. And you'll have one of these guys go to Gonzaga. So now there's a limited number of those players and there are more teams in play. And it's just – it gets tougher. Yeah. Sean, going back to your point, I think that is probably the biggest frustration that Kentucky fans have right now is that, yeah, the, the ideal mindset and ideal, um, you know, system that Cal has right now is that the, you know, EJ Montgomery's of the world and the Ashton Hagen's of the world, the, you know, the, those type of players are the two, three, four year players that, that stick around long-term and become that, that in-house player but Cal right now isn't stressing that the importance importance of that it, it, it has become a that is that is if you know them getting to the league is infinitely more important than developing into that player the the, the role players on Kentucky right now and, and Sean we had this argument last week the role players that Kentucky has right now do not feel comfortable being role players at Kentucky they do not feel like they fit here at Kentucky and and when you get the Jamal Bakers of the world and the Johnny Juzang. So, Sean, we, we talked about this j just on the phone a couple days ago and I, several times in the past as well. The Talking to people inside the program this summer, they were, they were baffled by Johnny Juzang's decision. They said that that's our biggest problem right now is roster management. We do not know what to do with guys like Johnny Juzang because we recruit those players to be two, three, four year guys, but they're not, they're not doing it. And they're kind of looking at themselves right now going, what are we missing here? We're recruiting two, three, four year guys, but they're not staying two, three, four years. What's the issue here? And it's guys like Dante Allen, guys like Johnny Juzang, guys like J Jamal Baker that Cal says things in passing during, you know, little press conferences here and there, like the Dante Allen quotes and, and stuff like that, that he says things in passing that almost makes it seem like their presence is not valuable inside the program. They do not feel like they belong in this program because Cal looks over them. I mean, Dante Allen, Kentucky went on a, a eight, nine, minute, 10 minute run without scoring a basket today. They went on a nine minute scoring drought uh, against uh, North Carolina last week and Cal looks at Dante Allen and goes, Hey, you're not a winning player. Sorry. Suck it up. You're not, you're not the guy like 
those players aren't feeling like they are long-term fits with this program. So they transfer out after a year thinking that, okay, well, if Cal doesn't appreciate me as a long-term player, then I'm going to go somewhere where that, that is. UCLA is going to treat me like I'm a, a long-term fit with, uh, with Juzang. Arizona looks at him and says, yeah, I'm, you not, might not be the answer year one. He wasn't that great of a player last year. But the next year, look what he is. Look what Jamal Baker has become. Nobody is saying Dante Allen is a savior this year. If you put him in right now, he's going to go four for five from three and completely change the dynamic of this this offense. Nobody thinks that that Dante is going to be that guy. But if you, it's it's the long term effect. If you don't appreciate him now and don't give him that confidence and that that you know for that that level of, of, yeah, I think long-term you can be that, that thing and you just keep looking over him over and over and over again, he's going to walk. He's going to go to a WKU or a Purdue or an NKU, and he's going to light it up. And, and Sean, I texted you to this during the game. There is I, – I, I, you know, kind of tried to figure out where this pessimism is coming from with Dante and, and why the staff just, it just refuses to play him right now. And, uh, Sean, for whatever reason, they say – in practice, his basketball IQ is horrible. They're not, they're not, he's not doing enough to show that he, he can be a high-level defender. He's making mistake after mistake after mistake, and they don't think long-term that, that he can be, I guess, short-term, long-term being this season, short-term in the, the next couple of games, that he can be a high-level difference maker this season. So he, they're not even giving him a chance. They said, look, he's way worse off than you guys are kind of making him out to be. But if the I wonder – if the excuse is, be, is basketball IQ, are the other players on, on the team right now showing high-level basketball IQ? Are they showing high-level defensive instincts? Are they doing anything to separate themselves? It's, it's, it's not that we think Dante Allen is a difference maker or that Jamal Baker was a difference maker or Johnny Juzang was. It's the premise. It's all about the premise. I, I was going to say, I wonder if uh, if playing him would have the same effect as what it's had for the guys that supposedly hit shots all during practice. Yeah, I mean they're not they're not hitting shots during games, so maybe maybe Dante uh, does some things in a game that he struggles with in practice. I don't know. That's just uh, but, I think I agree with that mindset. Why the hell not? I mean, but the whole but the whole thing with Jamal Baker and those names, and I know people get tired of hearing this, and I mean I'm I'm not sitting here tweeting it every single time the guy hits a shot or Adam Kunkel hits a three or something, but I think David would agree with this. What what he's doing right now at Arizona, just looking at his stats, he's had a game where he's hit seven of nine from three, and he's had a game where he's hit eight of 13 from three. Now, <laughs> Jamal Baker, didn't sh- he didn't shoot the ball well at Kentucky. Uh, he didn't have you know very good numbers during his time at Kentucky, but the problem is if he could do that at Arizona, he could do that at Kentucky. It was just about finding, you know, thinking you had a place in the program and a chance to do that as a junior and senior. Well, let me add this too, and I'll go a different angle with this, but in agreeing with you, but but approaching it like from a different route. Um, yeah, I think we all buy in. And, you know, I've done stories on the Kentucky effect. I did a story on the Kentucky effect right before the season started with all their contracts and all that, and the one it done, and rankings and comparing if B.J. Boston's the fifth-ranked player in the country, comparing him to the other number five-ranked players, yeah. you know, when you're, and we all get caught up in that and fans and, and, and everybody. But, you know, when I look – at what's going on, I look at it in the past. It's not fair. Let's take a kid like Devin Askew. Let's take some of these freshmen. Let's take Askew, Ware, guys like that. 
it's not really fair to them. And how many times have we heard it when Askew first came out and everybody, you know, you hear, he sucks. He can't play point guard. Yeah. He's a freshman, man. You know, and so back in the day, you know, we gave a Wayne Turner, a Dirk Minifield, and guys you hear from the past, when they came in, if they struggled early on their freshman season, nobody thought anything about it. You never heard anybody say, well, they can't play point guard. They can't do this. They yeah. can't do that. You know, they knew it. it. They were there for three or four years. Let them grow into it. You know, back when Dirk Minifield played, nobody thought. I mean, it was automatic. You were there for four years. And you develop and you develop. And so Askew kind of gets thrown to the wolves. And, you know, could we look at Lance Ware and say right now, well, you know, he doesn't have a lot of offensive – firepower, a lot of tools right now, but he can develop into a, a Mike Phillips or, uh, you know, somebody like that maybe, you know, who was a 6'11", 7-footer. Um, but, you know, it, it's – I just always have heard, you know, when you feed that monster, you feed that monster, you feed it, it just ends up eating its own. And you kind of wonder sometimes if it does that. Like you say, you get two or three guys a year – who go on to the NBA and make a lot of money. And then everybody else just kind of, you know, you kind of wonder, they kind of fend for themselves. And, you know, you, you, no matter what, if you get a guy like Keon Brooks, you know, they're looking at Keon Brooks. You'd think the way they talk about him experience, he was a 23 year old, six year senior. He's a <laughs> sophomore. So what happens to those guys who, you know, in the past could come in and stay three, four years and develop and, that, like I said, they just didn't get killed every time they had a bad game when they were freshmen because nobody thought about that. Now, if they did it when they were junior and seniors, yeah. Yeah. But so I don't know. It, it's – you know, that's what the whole environment creates. Yeah. I, yeah, and, you know, on Tuesday night, I mean, they're going to play Hartford. You know, that's not out there yet. UK's not put that out there. But uh, <laughs> I can go ahead and give you that scoop that Kentucky will play Hartford at Rupp Arena in place of South Carolina. So they're going to have a chance to step out of, you know, and play a non-Power 5 team. Uh, but that that's a Hartford team, I think, right now that's on a winning streak, if I'm not mistaken. I think they play New Hampshire back-to-back. They'll play New Hampshire tomorrow and Monday before they play Kentucky. So, obviously, they're going to fill that date. And Cal would probably like to see Hartford on there about three more times, Jack, before they have to play SEC play. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate that scoop. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, they, they, Cal said that after the game. We just need games right now. We just need some some type of, you know, momentum, get back in the right track. And uh, I know we're running long here. We'll, we'll jump off with, with this. Um, David, Kentucky's playing Hartford on Tuesday. Then SEC starts – SEC play starts next week. What what do they need right now? What how do you how does this season get salvaged at some point? Yeah, maybe not title expectations or anything like that. How do they look at this and go, all right, this season is salvaged at least some point where we can look at this as a positive? Well, it it needs to be that they could they're gonna have to go on a run. A serious run. It can't be a game to game thing where, you know, if they beat Hartford, we look at it and say, Man, it's back on track. Or they beat Mississippi yeah. State, who's trying to rebuild, and they're not very good. It's back on track. I'm talking about an extended run. And to do that, 
like I said, it can't be Mintz being the number one option out front. And it can't be you look up and they're playing Toppin and, and, and Lance Ware extended minutes in a post. Now, that's great, but not, you know, you don't look up and, hey, they've been out there together 15 minutes in a row. It can't be that. Saar, Clark, and Boston have got to step up to the level that we thought they were going to be. And there's nothing short of that. I mean, at B.J. Boston's, the number of shots he's taking per game, B.J. Boston needs to average between 20 and 25 points per game. He's averaging 14.5 per game going into today, and everybody thought he was a flop. Because he's shooting the ball so much, and he's missing open shots. He's got to score between 20 and 25. Saar needs to average between 15 and 20. Clark needs to average right about the same. So I think when you look at those three guys, those three guys, they've got to average between the three of. There was a game where I think they scored fifty points between the three of them. I think it was the Notre Dame game, and you know they got beat. So, um, but I think they've got to average sixty points between the three of them because these other guys are stepping up. That Kentucky still can't get to sixty-five. They've not scored. They've scored sixty-five one game this year, and that was against Moorhead. They've not gotten theirs yet. No. And so we know what the role guys are going to give. They've got to have those three guys every game. It can't be Clark scores twenty-two in a game. You never hear from him again. Sar scores twenty-two against Notre Dame. You never hear from him again. It can't be that. It's got to be night in and night out. Those three average sixty a game. Same question, same question for you, Sean. Let's let's end it with this. Kentucky's role guys are good enough. I think that's the thing that I've found out the last couple of weeks. Th- those guys are going to bring it and do their job. And as long as two or three of them do their job, this team can be fine as long as the other three guys get going. And that's the biggest takeaway from me right now is you you got to find something with Olivier Saar, Terrence Clark, and B.J. Boston. If, if this keeps traveling, I mean, look – they're already on an uphill climb to get into the NCAA tournament with nothing to show for a non-conference, but it, it's not like they don't have a shot. Uh, certainly they have, what, 18 conference games? Is that correct? Is that how many conference games they'll play? Then they still play Texas and obviously Hartford. Mm-hmm. So they got 20 regular season games left. They probably need to win 14 to 15 of them mm-hmm. to give themselves a chance. Yeah. yeah. And the bad thing's going to be, they talked about it on TV today, you've only got two teams – um, in the SEC now that I think are ranked. And, you know, that's been a problem with Ken Palm. You know, even you look at last year, with a record Kentucky had, they were, what, 15, 16 and 2, 15 and 3 in the mm-hmm. SEC, and they couldn't crack the top 30. Is because the league, they didn't have teams that you could climb over and really say, okay, man, this is a big-time quality win. The only big-time quality win, the other teams, Missouri, the only big-time quality win you've got right there is Tennessee. And I'm going to tell you what, they will get herb stomped twice against Tennessee. Going I mean, it will be but, awful. And, and the other side of this, before, before we wrap it up here, Seth Davis said it last week multiple times on the broadcast. What did he say? Kentucky's schedule is about to get easier. Don't you know, panic yet. What, what good does that do them? It is a panic. That is a reason. I mean, if like that's the thing though, like right now, it's it's still it's still a body of work, right, David? I mean, you still have to have a quality resume. You can't just rack yeah. up a bunch of wins. You got, got to have something to show. Man, they've got an AAC or a, a, an Atlantic Ten, you know, <laughs> kind of resume. You know, <laughs> if they go, if if, if they can't beat, I, I just don't know where to, they'll have to beat Texas. They'll have to beat Tennessee twice. 
probably LSU. I, I don't know. Florida, maybe. I don't know. I, I just don't know where the wins are at. Oh, well, I, I think, uh, as usual, our podcast uh, creates more questions. Merry than- Christmas, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> this creates more questions and answers that uh, just like this team does. So uh, I appreciate you guys walking us through this, and uh, I appreciate our listeners, as always. I hope you guys had a Merry Christmas, and, and uh, I guess by the time we do this next episode, it'll be a Happy New Year as well. Um, but, man. Yeah, wish wish we had something better to talk about and more uplifting and, and optimism, but it's just not there right now. Um, well, I appreciate the both of you for letting me vent to you guys and you guys venting to me. I feel like this is a nice group therapy session for the three of us. Uh, <laughs> so thank you. Sean, uh, we'll start with you. Where, where can fans find your work? You can find it at GoBigBlueCountry.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at GBBCountry. And David? My wife just walked by, so she she's going to be famous. She, yeah. she's on it. I know she loves attention. So she, <laughs> okay. Uh, Coach David Sisk at Twitter, and you can find my work at Cats Illustrated on the Rivals Network. You can find me on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Reach out to me via email at jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com. Had somebody reach out to me uh, before and, and kind of vented to me a little bit, and, and we had a nice little email vent session as well. So I appreciate those those that reach out to me there as well. Um, this was a lot of fun, guys. I appreciate you guys. I know this was difficult, but um, I think we all needed it at this point. All right. And, we, and sources it. say is going to Starkville, David. You joining us? Oh. Really? Start, I'm about uh, three hours from Starkville. Well, why don't you come join us? It'll be a good time. Wow. <laughs> He's like, eh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. What? I'd have to go look the schedule, and that tells you how much really I'm looking to the future right now of everything on the schedule. What is that? What day is that? Uh, Saturday, January second. So same day as the UK bowl game. So that's a Saturday game. Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. A week from today. A week from right. today. <laughs> well. We will be down at Starkville. We'll have a lot of fun. We're going to do some Facebook Live, you know, YouTube Live, stuff like that. We're going to um, really make a good, solid trip out of it. Please, uh, please follow along with us. We're dreading through this season the same way you guys are. So, so please keep on listening, keep downloading, giving us five-star reviews. Uh, we just cracked, David. I don't know if you, you know this. We cracked the top 100 in all of uh, basketball podcasts top, in all of America. Top are, 50. We're, 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 we're where? We got the number 47 a couple of days ago. We are top 50 in the whole damn country, David. That's where we are. Kentucky. There's only, there's only like 52 basketball podcasts out there. So we're <laughs> Kentucky 50. might not be top 50 in the country right now, but okay. we're sure as hell top 50 <laughs> in your hearts as listeners. So, guys, we really appreciate you guys downloading and listening every single week and letting us kind of be a part of your regular schedule. Um, we, this is a lot of fun. We enjoy this another year in the books. It's been a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, we, we appreciate you guys and we will be back next time for another jam packed source of say podcast. We will see you then.